What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Exciting conclusion edition. From the dead. Exciting conclusion from the dead. You don't usually hear those words in that order. Uh, well, I guess that's probably right. Unless someone like left behind a really interesting will. Um, <laughs> Touche. Mm-hmm. Touche. Um, this is a, a part two, but but I, I will say there's you know as as we as as with all good sequels, you don't need to have participated in the uh, first edition, uh, the, in, in part one to to be able to follow what's going to happen today. Um, but uh, you know if you like, if you hadn't heard it, I definitely uh, be fun for you to go back. You can go back after today's episode, but uh, um, we will be continuing uh, after we had a cliffhanger. At the end of the last episode, we'll pick up with that in a minute. Uh, just checking in, how are you? How's uh, how's summer going for uh, both of you, Gabby? I think you have uh, exciting things happening. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a move, uh, so it's been just like a lot of packing, a lot of accidentally packing things that I need, and then having to dig them back out of boxes. Uh, I was saying before the show, I have a lot of plants, um, particularly ones that have very long vines. And when I took down the shelving, my every like surface is like just covered in vines. It looks like the end of Jumanji, like the original one where the house <laughs> is just destroyed with vines. That's basically me and any available surface right now. It's a little ridiculous. That's pretty odd. And what was the name of the plant you gave? I had not heard the name. Oh, of that I plant. have a pothos. And a pothos. I bought it like yeah, I bought it like three years ago when I first moved in. It was this tiny little baby thing, and now it's like fifteen feet long and it devoured my bedroom and now I have to move it, which is just gonna be interesting. And I don't want to cut it up. I could, but it just feels sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um Matt, how are you? Um stable, not moving? Uh that is correct. Uh, well, I mean, relatively speaking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's moving somewhat, moving in place. Um, wonderful. I, I'm happy to be back at the homestead after a couple weeks, at least two, um, where I was doing it from the road, which is always exciting. The hardest part being the time zone difference, especially if I travel out west, suddenly I go much earlier. I get new sympathy for our guests who are brave enough to join us from the west coast often uh, and yeah, still join us right. at our regular morning time, which puts it very early. But uh, here we are, and we're continuing part two, um, the part two of the of an episode we did about the ether um which uh we'll get a quick summary uh actually gabby if you want to give us what your your sort of takeaway from what the ether was and then we'll continue um with uh basically last week's episode um was extremely colorful and exciting as it always is uh, and it was a bit more of a kind of history of the ether, um, which which is a kind of 18th century concept or even goes further back. Um, and uh, just to tease this week where we're going, we're going to go into extreme sci-fi land. So stay tuned for that. 
Gab, so Gabby, what was where did we leave off, or what what was the what was your takeaway from last week's if uh, exploration yeah, so of ether? The ether was basically a physics concept to describe the propagation of light waves. Which Matt, tell me if I'm incorrect in that. Um, but essentially, if sound has to move through air, people thought, okay, well, light has to move through something too. Um, so then that introduced the concept of the ether as a way of sort of explaining it. Um, and because light does not function the way that sound does, it's very different, um, there led to being some unique properties of the ether and led to people speculating about things like the ether was a way for us to talk to the dead. And it got sort of mysticized as well as uh, studied from an actual physics standpoint. Yeah, sort of what what fills the universe? Yeah, was my takeaway. Is that right? Um, and uh, uh, Matt, is there any other any other you want to just? Uh, no, no, that's that's all good. Um, and uh, I think one thing to to flag is that some of the people who are mysticizing the ether are also the physicists studying it for its technical properties too. Wow. Um, so it's not like, um, you know, there's a bunch of weirdos in their basement thinking about the ether and then there's professionals off doing their work. It's the people finish their work at the lab and then come home to their basement and think about uh, mysticizing the ether. Um, as, so as we all do. Uh, yeah. As we all do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's a, a, a which points to is from comes to us from a very fascinating time in, in the evolution of science or the history of science and so uh we're going to go further as we do what um on this show we we ask what if um and we go further we put a the in there what the if because we're we're very uh as matt often says we are enraged by it uh i i would say the what if is goes beyond the usual what if like everyone who um i believe that the concept of the what if i remember the first time i learned of it came from hg wells i believe yeah, and he was good choice um uh he has some articles on uh, how to write science fiction and uh, or you know he was talking about the process of writing science fiction and he said what you need is you need a big what if just ask yourself a big question and they go with what if you know what if Martians invaded the Earth, for instance, and which he wrote to great effect. Um, wrote and wrote to great effect. Um, so uh, this week we are asking, what the if? The 19th century concept of the ether turned out to be real. What if? The experiments which we did on the ether, which, spoiler alert, dispensed with the notion of some of the early concepts. What if it turned out, no, that these original ideas were real? This is not the most concise if statement <laughs> we've well, ever had. And that's appropriate, because the ether is itself not a very concise thing. It is, uh, it is uh, spread throughout the universe and penetrates substances and uh, is in all sorts of strange places. Therefore, um, therefore allowing itself to run on sentences. Yeah, exactly, right? That's a, <laughs> the ether is one big run-on sentence from, That's from right. one end of the universe to the other. Also, also in, the 18th, uh, in the 19th century, you, know, you had those wonderful book titles 
they oh, go, go on, on and on and on yep. and on and on. So. Um, yeah, that's right. It is a huge. Um, it's it's something of a problem when you spend a lot of time reading nineteenth century writing, as as I sometimes do, uh, um, because these sentences will go on and on. And Maxwell, <laughs> one of our our main characters from last time, was particularly known for this. He would just splice together. Uh, subordinate clauses over and over um, without regard to verbs or nouns or human decency. Um, <laughs> and it just gets exhausting sometimes. Touche. So. <laughs> Touche. Well, I guess m maybe he was trying to emulate the electromagnetic waves that he was. Yeah, yeah that's entirely possible. The field. He, 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 he wrote in it and he believed in a, 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 a I don't know, a, instead of a field of magnetic field like a, a field of words a field of language <laughs> be nice yeah yeah um, um, all right so if we've got ourselves a, a proper uh, ether now right um we're living something in a... fills the universe yep that's right and we can uh we can nudge that we can nudge yeah. that substance to do interesting things right. um so build by building special machines um we can poke the ether and cause a wave to start traveling in that ether. And then that wave is going to travel uh, at the speed of light. Um, and if we build a slightly different machine, we can detect that movement in the ether later. Um, and with a little bit of cleverness, we can send signals via this method. And we'll give it some cool name like, I don't know, wireless telegraphy. Right. Cool. Um, and we can send this signal f essentially unlimited distances if we build our, our machines big enough. Um, so we could talk uh, across the Atlantic, if you can conceive of such a thing, um, uh, or maybe across the universe, again, if we, if we can build them big enough. Right. Um, but we know there's other ways to, to poke the ether, um, and that seems to be through the use of gifted people oh. who we might call mediums, who can poke the ether to send signals as well, except this time um, they don't need a machine to do that. Um, and the people receiving their particular poke of the ether um, are in the ether. They are these disembodied entities, um, possibly spread throughout the universe in the same way that the ether is as well. Um, but they're conscious and we can communicate with them. Um, so there's multiple ways to communicate with the ether, and it turns out the ether is probably full of beings, um, some of Whoa. whom used to be humans. Um, so when people die, uh, their souls dissipate into the ether. Um, wow. And through certain arrangements, um, they can talk to us and we can talk to them too. So the first thing you were talking about sounded like radio. Something yeah, like I guess we could call it radio if you wanted. Right. <laughs> familiar with. Mm -hmm. So so here's here's what uh, uh, I find uh, fascinating and I'm having uh, I'm not quite under, understanding that at the um, radio the concept of radio um, is a purely technological thing so that I could see them they had that idea and then they we actually achieved that mm -hmm. and um, uh, but the other stuff, the occult stuff you're talking about there, mm -hmm. um, how does that come out of the, the physics? So, so how did the physicists make that? 
connection. Well, it kind of goes the other way. That is, the the notion of telepathic communication through the ether is is way before radio. Um, right. People are are thinking about versions of that back in the 18th century. Um, so, like the the notion of hypnosis and mesmerism is an ether based <sighs> communication idea too. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so there's an important sense in which radio is an analogy for this mystical kind of communication too. Um, wow. So when radio came, when radio actually came about, mm-hmm. did people think, "Whoa, this is using some"? Did people feel a mystical quality to it? That we many people do, right? I mean, it feels kind of supernatural, right? Yeah. Um, that that I can poke a button in London, and then suddenly you hear something in New York, that's extraordinary, right? Much less with the claim that it happens uh, essentially instantly or very, very fast. Um, So the um, uh, the sense that the the exciting new physics of the late 19th century, which includes not just radio, but also radioactivity, um, Mm. uh, has opened up a new or uh, has, has, has given us awareness of a new realm. So the, the whole talk of like fourth dimension long precedes Einstein. And again, is mm. this mystical sense um, mm. that radio will let us listen in on the mystical realities that are hidden out there. Right. Um, yeah. Wow. Instead, of, instead of just classic rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's funny too that you bring that up because that is still something that like ghost hunters will use. I say this from my, mm-hmm. you know, extensive education watching ghost adventures in college. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, I think it's still kind of funny that this still pervades uh, ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. Even um, the idea of is, listening, listening yeah. for ghosts on the radio? Yeah, or they'll just yeah. like leave like a exactly. microphone somewhere with like a, a like speech to talk kind of, kind of thing where like yeah. mm-hmm. it'll like look, like really be looking it's, it's kind of one of these confirmation bias things where if you have a machine that's expecting to hear language, eventually it's going to hear white noise and interpret it as language. But yeah. they'll like leave one of those things in a room mm-hmm. um, or like a, yeah, like a random noise generator and stuff like that. And then be like, mm-hmm. oh, something's talking through the spirit box. <laughs> yeah, um, but there's the sense that electrical technology is this kind of interface between our reality and a different one. Um, and it's the, the analogy is not, I mean, it's not outrageous, right? <laughs> these, these yeah. electrical fields are invisible, visible, and you can't touch them. Um, and when, when you do set up things to look at like cathode ray tubes or whatnot, it's this eerie green glow, um, that creeps you out. Uh, and you know, I mean- it's... We're also electrified meat ourselves, so... Well, and this is... uh, I mentioned sort of the early 18th century versions of of things like mesmerism um, uh, and hypnosis comes out of that very early realization that there's some connection between electricity and life, too. Um, Oh, uh, Frankenstein. Well, that's exactly it. um, People talked about animal magnetism, not in the modern sort of lustful <laughs> sense, um, but in a literal sense that there's something about electricity and magnetism that makes living things go. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, just the fact that you can, t- you can take, you know, Volta's classic experiment with the, the frog legs was you, you take a disembodied frog leg um, and you put an electrical current through it and it moves. It moves just like it did when it was alive. So 
the 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 conclusion there is is not a hard one. It's that electricity makes living things go, um, and then and then you can run with that very quickly. So then, if the ether carries electricity too, then there's something in the ether about the nature of life too, right? There's the the the, the very essence of what it means to be a living thing must somehow be bound up with the ether too. So the idea that it could support your soul after you're dead is not that an extraordinary leap. Wow. Um, And I guess what I love about this is that it takes us back to a time where, um, you know, it's a common complaint among people who uh, really believe strongly, uh, people who are evangelical about the paranormal. You know, they'll say, Mm -hmm. scientists aren't listening to us. They'll say, science needs to have an open mind. And actually, you know, what you're, reminding us is that, or, or informing us, for those who didn't know it for the first time, that science, when science began, all of these things were open scientific questions. Is that yes, what you're saying? That's right. thing, nothing was mm-hmm. written out of hand, really? Did, did, what, was there any sense among scientists of like, the, did they have a sense of the woo and were they, would they be dismissive of these things? Yeah, there, there were, um, from a couple of different perspectives, too. Um, so... It's, I mean, it's not that different than we get today. As, as one group of people will say, look, science is about figure, trying to figure out what is true about the world. Um, mm-hmm. And the hypothesis that ghosts exist is, is not on its face any more outrageous than the hypothesis that atoms exist. Let's just mm-hmm. figure out a way to test that hypothesis and see if we can do anything about that. Um, and then, but sometimes people will say, no, science is about finding out things that are true about the natural world. And things like ghosts are by definition supernatural and therefore outside the realm of scientific explanation, even in principle, right? Um, and there's no, it's not like there's a council that decides this sort of thing. You can make a good case for, for one way or the other. Um, it's whichever one you find persuasive. Um, I guess that, that distinction between natural and supernatural, that's what it comes Mm -hmm. down to who decides what. Yeah, that's right. And it turns out that as an ether is a great example of how that boundary is actually pretty mushy. Um, uh, and not at all. It's, it's very difficult to, to declare ahead of time where something sits on that boundary. Um, so, uh, yeah, this, this group that we, we introduced last time, the, the Society for Psychic Research, is essentially the scientists that decide they want to take this question seriously. What kind of experiments can we run about the mystical nature of the ether? That is, what can we build a machine that will let us talk to ghosts? Um, can we conduct experiments that show... The, the local medium is actually connecting to something else out there? Are they actually levitating tables? Is protoplasm real? Right. Right. Um, so they, they sit down and they say, let's figure out some experiments we can run to, to, to measure this stuff. What can we find? Um, and it doesn't go well. I should say. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did they, they do? They have a good 40 or 50 years of running regular experiments, trying wow. to, like, they'll, they'll strap electrometers to mediums while they're talking to ghosts, and they set up cameras. And, wow. um, uh, and essentially, they don't get anything. 
everything. <laughs> they uh -huh. just, um, the, the results do not come back the way that they were hoping for. Um, and the SPR gradually bleeds off members um, as they are unable to produce results. Um, but I think the interesting thing here is that it's not for lack of trying. These, these are world-class physicists, so some of the best experimental people in the world, um, designing what they see to be really rigorous experiments. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes in science, you don't find what you're looking for, right? And right. I should say, it's not, it's, it's not an accident that this is also the time when people are running similar experiments on the ether. So people are trying to figure out, uh, people are designing really clever experiments to detect um, ghost interactions. They're also designing really clever experiments to detect ether interactions. Um, that is, we can detect electromagnetic waves in the ether. Can we detect the ether directly? Um, so, for instance, um, if the ether is out there and pervading the whole universe, that suggests that uh, we are moving through it. Um, even if the ether has some sort of general motion, um, the Earth makes a loop around the sun every year. So at some point in that loop, we should be moving relative to the ether, right? and presumably we would, whatever motion we have would be seasonally dependent. Right. Like a so, boat going through water. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. So we should be able to set up an experiment uh, to measure our motion through that ether too. Um, and it's, I should say, it so happens that uh, a lot of the machines used to detect ghost interactions are the same kind of machine used to detect motion through the ether too. No way. Um, and it so happens that neither set of experiments find anything. Um, so what do you, this is, I don't know, this is an awkward thing in science generally, is sometimes your experiment does not give you what you want. Um, and what conclusion do you draw from that? You can draw the conclusion that, uh, well, the thing I wasn't looking for, or the thing I was looking for wasn't real. Yeah, that's, I, I have proved that thing is not there. Or <laughs> I screwed up. <laughs> I, I did a bad job with my experiment. <laughs> right. um, or more commonly, my initial idea about what I was looking for was slightly wrong. So I need to redesign my experiment uh -huh. to get the particular detail I must have missed the first time. Right. Right. It's so like, Gabby, if you went into the lab looking for something and you didn't find it, there's no way you would just <laughs> close up shop the next day and say, well, that's it. No, and usually what I would do is I would change my methodology somehow. Like, mm -hmm. So there would yeah. be a couple of different times where if I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm looking for. If I can't see it for some reason, I'm going to change mm -hmm. the way that I'm looking at it. Um, try mm -hmm. to do a slightly different test instead of maybe, you know, standing with uh, something fluorescent. Maybe then I, you know, juice all the protein out and run a Western plot or something like that instead. Try different methods to, to detect what I'm looking at. And then I assume that maybe then after I've done that and <laughs> not seen for a couple of different ways and a couple of different times, then I say, okay, maybe something about what I was expecting was, was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I'm curious that did they, they probably had to go through a bunch of different assorted devices trying to poke the yes. ether. That's right. Um, because part of the problem was that as we, we talked about last time is the, the ether is a really poorly defined concept and it's really hard to, cause you need to, if you want to, test for something, you need to have some idea of what its properties are and how you might interact with it. Um, but the ether is so weird that it's hard to 
guess. So for instance, we know that the ether can penetrate certain kinds of solid materials because it can go through glass. Um, so when, if I move a piece of glass, does that drag the ether with it? Um, when, does, when you say we know it can go through glass, do you mean because light goes through Because light glass, can go through it, right? And light, and is, light is what's traveling through the ether. And light is an ether. Is this yep. hypothesis? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so it can't yeah. be. So um, when I move the glass, does the ether kind of drag with it? Um, uh, or does it like mush up? Or does the ether just sit there and the, the glass moves through it perfectly smoothly without any kind of disruption? Right. Um, depending on your answer to that, you can build a different kind of machine to detect um, those different phenomena. So Oliver Lodge, who's really our, our, one of our, our main characters here, as, as the great exponent for... Um, for the mysticized ether, who's also doing real physics, um, builds what he calls his great whirling machine, which is, as the name suggests, essentially just a giant machine that whirls around at high speed. And he's hoping to like drag the ether with it and, and, and therefore detect this, this kind of motion with it, the artificial motion within the ether. Um, Sorry, let me just also just clarify, just for those who didn't hear last week, the, mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is that if, the idea is that we know light travels through, light light exists, okay, and we feel that light is made of waves that are traveling. And therefore, the, the question was, if there was no ether, if there was no substance for the light to travel through, there would be no way, we wouldn't have light, because if, if light is made of waves, the waves, just like waves in water, must be traveling through something. Through so something. This, is yeah. where, this is where they're, everyone's, everyone's really feeling very strongly there must be some kind of substance. And so what we're really, everyone's struggling to find this substance, right? The mm -hmm. idea that and there I'm, is no substance is not an option. It's, it's not an option. Uh, no. yeah. I'm also assuming this is pre-light as a particle duality. Um, the, so the ether, um, in the 19th century, there's evidence both that light is a wave and a particle. Um, but the, the hypothesis that... Uh, light as a wave is so fruitful and so useful that the particle theory falls to the side uh, for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the whirling, what is this whirling, uh, what was it called again? The, the, uh, the great, he called it the great whirling machine. Um, I'll find a picture and we can stick it up um, on the machine. And, and there's this picture it, of, I'm sorry, go ahead, Gabby. No, I was going to say when it didn't work, did he sell it to a carnival? Because <laughs> I'm imagining <laughs> really? that, like... Well, that's actually Steam an interesting question. I'd have to, to ask. I'll ask my friend who, who knows this stuff more um, what happened to all of Lodge's old equipment. Um, uh, but Lodge certainly spent, you know, Lodge lives a very long time um, and invents all sorts of machines that almost work. So what happens to all of those afterwards? I'm not quite sure. Oh. Um, uh, but one of the, remember, this is if the, he's trying to build a machine to drag the ether. Um, but again, humans seem to have some ability to connect with the ether directly, too, because that's what psychic powers are, is direct connection to the things that live in the ether. So there's this picture of him sticking his head inside the whirling machine um, <laughs> to see if he can, he himself can sense this disruption in the ether, too. Wow. Yeah. I'm and just I guess imagining, like, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. 
No, no. I was, just, I was just imagining like a ghost in the washing machine, like, I'm coming to you <laughs> from the beyond. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the poor ghost that gets caught in the the, uh, in the whirling machine, that would have been really quite quite miserable, I think. Maybe it's a Ghostbusters <laughs> kind of I'm thing. Googling images of it. It's a little hard to it is not, um It is not a well-known thing. It, 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 yeah. I'd be surprised if it comes up on Google. Um, it it I'll doesn't. Have to, I'll, yeah. I'll dig out the historical materials. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't stick your head in the just sticking your head in the look he did that for science so i kudos he did it for science that's right stick your head um, in the whirling machine listening uh, for ghosts there's there's a lot of um uh discomfort and pain associated with ether research um and electrical yeah. research generally like i should say amongst other things for um for a long time, it's not clear how to build what nowadays we would call an ammeter, a device that that measures electrical current directly. Um, so the best way to measure that was actually just to hold the two leads on your electrical circuit and feel how hard it shocked you. And then you would wow. write down like, yeah, that was a pretty hard shock. Or, no, that wasn't so hard. Um, <laughs> And like Ma those of us who as kids put our tongue on the nine volt battery. That's exactly it. Don't do um, it. <laughs> and Maxwell, in an, in an attempt to... Um, to try and figure out whether this was actually a an objective measuring system, um, any guest that came to talk to him at his lab would have to subject themselves to this test, uh, and then he tried to calibrate the results of all of the guests to, to see. That's a great way to minimize the guests who come to. No, well, the, it, it was suggested that this may have been his his ulterior motive. Yeah. You know. I can't even say that that's an outdated science because we have a lab here that studies mosquitoes and you do have to stick your arm ah, in the mosquito ah, camp. Sometimes, sometimes just to feed them, but uh, which I've heard from several of my friends. Once you do that, you will never get like a mosquito like bump ever oh, again. Right? Like your body like maxes out because oh, it's like, wow. I, I'm done. I've had my lifetime. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, volunteering but, for mm -hmm. vampires. Yeah. 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 I mean, they do it for experiments. Because uh, you know how some people are like, oh, my God, I always get bit by mosquitoes. They want yeah. to be like, is that actually a thing? Turns uh. out most of the people who think they get bit the most are not actually the people who get bit the most. They might just be the most sensitive to the bites. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. But, yeah, science is still a that. lot of... Science is still a lot of subject lot of yourself to the thing suffer. and record what happens. <laughs> that's my Now, here's the thing. In our if, in our if, which is what if this, this the, their concept of the ether, um, including having these... Uh, these, uh, you know, connection with the dead, it was real. In so in our if, Oliver Lodge sticks his head in the whirling machine, and what happens? And uh, it works. Um, he d he is able to let's see here, um, detect the changes he is inducing in the ether. Um, so if you can do that, that suggests, well, I should say, actually, the, the specific thing here is if he's able to induce changes in the ether that he can sense directly. Then, um, then anybody with the use of a proper machine can directly interface with the ether in the way that previously only gifted psychics could. That would be pretty cool, right? So, what does he? How does? What are the indications? He well, gets? his particular interest. This is a rather sad uh, part of it. Is he gets to talk to his dead son, um, who he misses oh. dearly. Um, and he'd only been able to talk to his dead son through his favorite psychic um, in, in the way you typically imagine. But now maybe he can do that directly. Um, and along with uh, his son, he could talk to Maxwell, who had been dead for 30, 40 Whoa. years by this point, too. Um, and then maybe Isaac Newton. 
uh, and Galileo, because all of these people, when they died, their spirits just went out into the ether. Um, and they're all just cruising around, as near as we can tell. Uh, right. So uh, now anybody, with the, with the assistance of Lodge's great whirling machine, um, can now be psychics themselves and talk so to this, the dead. So this would lead to the next question, which is, this, this is where, this is, as I said, we go, we go, we're going hard sci-fi, not hard sci-fi, we're going sci-fi here. Not hard <laughs> sci-fi isn't, well, yeah, anyway, yeah. we're going sci-fi. And so we now ask the mechanism, you know, is each person on a different channel? Uh, is it like a? Is this a radio? Mm -hmm. How do we get? We want to get Isaac Newton on the line. Yeah. How do we? Do um, that? This is unclear, I should say, um, yeah. because the, you know, the the mediums can't seem to talk to anybody. They seem to talk to people who are, I don't know, connected in some way to the folks who happen to be in the room um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. at the given moment. So it's a Kevin but, Bacon, Kev, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, it could be. Situation. So I don't know, but I don't know if that means that the spirits in the ether like hang out near people they already know, or yeah. if there's some way to summon them, yeah. um, or if, as you say, there's different frequencies. I mean, we I should say we know that there are different frequencies of waves in the ether because radio waves, right, can travel on different frequencies. Right. Um, but whether or not like Isaac Newton and Galileo are on different frequencies, um, it's hard to say. I guess that might be an empirical question, actually. We would yeah. probably need um, a major government-funded research institute uh, to figure out these questions in some detail. Plus, here's the thing. If Newton and Galileo and other scientists are out there in the ether, Mm -hmm. I think they would be thrilled to finally be able to make the connection, right? I mean, they would have been experimenting with how to, uh, oh, you would yeah. assume they don't drop their mm -hmm. scientific impulse, right? That's right. And I should say it would probably be hugely irritating to be an experimenter today because you would constantly have literally <laughs> thousands of <laughs> scientists yes, speaking right. in your ears. No, 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 not that one. That's Use the right. micro pipette. I was about to say that too. Like, I'm just imagining all of like the viciously heated scientific debates, except now you're having them with like some 16th century like physicians. Like, no, you must use the leeches. It's like, no. This is Imagine the conf mm -hmm. right at the conferences. First of all, mm -hmm. you could have a keynote from Isaac Newton, sure. or you yeah. choose mm -hmm. choose your titan of science. Um, but yeah, even worse, they we we, we now take a quick just like we have. You know, we have conferences now that are sort of part in-person and part virtual. So it'd be like, okay, we're going to take a question from the room. Yes, thank you. And then we answer the question. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take a question from Twitter now, you know, or we're going to take a question yeah. from the Zoom audience. And now we're going to take a question from the ether. From the dead. <laughs> the yes. I'm just imagining, like, if, if the ether only gets, like, one question, are all of the ghosts kind of bickering with each other? To They're see, like, crammed the around the great whirling yeah. machine. <laughs> I'm imagining, if you guys ever happen to see, there's a BBC show, Ghosts, uh, and it's kind of like that sometimes where they're all, like, bickering with each other at some point, and there's only one person they can talk to who's kind of, like, the conduit. Um, and so, therefore, it's a lot of them shouting over each other, and I'm sort of just imagining this at a scientific conference, since nobody's really going to check their decorum. Yeah, that's, that's, right. Where they are in the that's right. That's right. Just and yelling at, all the time. At Disney World, no. uh, the Haunted Mansion could be, you know, it's funny because in the haunt, serious spoiler alert, if there are any kids in the room, cover their ears. <laughs> in the Haunted Mansion, they're using tricks to make it look like there are ghosts. 
who sings. That's it. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) The immersion. They project. They project images on glass, and then you know it looks like they're singing and funny songs. All right, but now you could have real, you know, uh, could have real ghosts, right? And um, you know, this could be a jobs Mm -hmm. program for the uh, for the beyond. Actually, maybe they would work. They would work for free because I assume in, in you know in once you're living in the ether, there's uh, no need for food or income. We don't. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, um, they could be real ghosts, and uh, all kinds of things would be happening. I mean, really, really, where this goes is, and we've gone very fast towards this, which I do kind of like. Um, our world would suddenly, and there are a number of science fiction and. And I suppose horror, horror uh, stories like this, where the dead completely permeate our world. They do, you know, they're as present mm-hmm. as uh, as anything. Um, I mean, this could be a challenge for movies and television. You know, if you could tune. I'm into personally the, yeah. immediately thinking of the fact that a lot of scientists basically drop dead in their laboratories. Like, we don't like to retire. <laughs> We like yeah. to be working right. until the minute over. we die. And now I'm yeah. just imagining yeah. that's not going to stop them. Right. <laughs> they, they just keep running. Yeah, the yeah. postdocs yeah. are trained to just um, start talking to the ghosts the instant that the PI dies. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the ghost, ghost PI could still occupy their office, but you just have, you know, some sort of whirling machine that exists in the office now instead of the PI. that You're like, okay, so I got this data. And then you hear, like, you know, the crackly voice from beyond <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> Did you, you fill out next. your purchase requirements? Yeah. However, okay, here's what it comes down to, though. The, the, um, this communication with the dead would still have to be through um, either a person. So this also would, would turn out to be that mediums and psychics were real. So mm-hmm. kudos for them. Um, and, uh, um, but we could, also have, we could also be using devices, say a whirling right. machine or mm-hmm. a radio. Yeah. And... Um, we could turn them off, right? So you could- uh, that's right. And also, I should say, there's in addition to turning off the machine, um, there's a, a trick we can do with what's a device called a Faraday cage, um, in uh. which we shield ourselves from electrical signals today. Um, right. Like your microwave is a pretty good Faraday cage. Uh, elevators. That's why you have trouble getting signals, uh, cell signals inside elevators. Um, so you can presumably a Faraday cage would exclude um, ghosts too. This so explains why ghosts you, are not commonly seen in elevators. I don't hear about that a lot. There's got to be a Japanese <laughs> horror movie <laughs> about this, right? I can't remember. Um, but you could build a, a ghost-excluded area if you are tired of hearing from your great-aunt Mildred or whatnot. Right. Um, so I can maybe I don't know, maybe that's the the equivalent of internet cafes for for this world, um, like the tinfoil hat areas. That's right, right. That's right. Tin finally the tinfoil hat. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be good fun. Exactly. Um, so uh, jumping forward, uh, a fellow named Einstein is still born in this universe. Mm-hmm. Now, see, again, I'm full of spoiler alerts today. Uh, spoiler alert in our universe, in our timeline, our real timeline, um, Einstein's discoveries dispensed with the idea of the ether. He actually, and, and that is a complicated and fascinating story unto itself, but basically it, he yeah. proved that the ether doesn't actually exist. There is actually nothing. Well, this is a funny thing, right? Is that yeah. that's often how, how it's described, but that's actually not what Einstein does. Ah, okay. Instead, Einstein declares that the, the ether is superfluous. 
mm-hmm. which is a really specific word, right? Huh. That's different than saying I've proven this wrong. He's saying that you don't need it. You don't need to think about it. Um, and his, uh, that is, he says, you can do science without that assumption. Um, and he does. And his road to getting there is long and complicated that we don't need to get into here. Um, but it's, it's, it's very interesting that he just says, don't worry about it anymore. All, all those anxieties you've had about the nature of the ether and how it interacts with matter, just don't worry about it. Just, just get on with your life. Um, and in our world, people eventually listen to him. It takes a couple of decades. Um, so now we do. So we use Maxwell's equations, which assume that the ether exists, uh, even though oh. we don't think it does. <laughs> right? Oh, I didn't realize um, that Maxwell's equations mm-hmm. are meant to be applied to the ether. That's correct. That is, does they, it factor they, in the ether explicitly in some way, or is it just like meant um, to be used in the is, context of... Um, the uh, the the Maxwell's equations are based so like when you write e in Maxwell's equations, what Maxwell meant by that e was tension in the ether. Nowadays, we don't mean that, um, but the equation he wrote down with that idea in mind is still the same one we use today, more or less. And I'm hand waving here, and my friends are going to send me hate mail for, for what I just <laughs> said, but I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Um, so the, I think the right way to say it is that the equations are based, are, are, are based on the correctness of a hypothesis that we no longer think is correct. Um, but the equations still work really well. So it's weird, right? That's a, that's a strange thing. So there's this sense in which we still live with the after image, with the ghostly image of the ether in our physics. Right. Um, even though we don't think it's real. And I'm hesitant. I'm really standing on the precipice of, of of trying to avoid diving into, uh, relativity and things, but in a way Einstein replaced, is it, can we say Einstein replaces the idea of the ether with the notion of the fabric of space-time? People accuse him of doing so, yeah, because mm-hmm. it turns out that things like uh, space-time um, share certain properties with the ether, right? You can't measure it directly, it fills the universe, and so on. Um, but again, Einstein does his superfluous move and says, don't worry about it, just just do your physics. <laughs> um, uh, but I think in our universe where the whirling machine works, nobody pays any attention to this superfluous thing. Einstein right. says, right. just don't worry about what the ether is. And we're like, no, I'm talking to Galileo and Aunt Mildred. That's right. Um, why would I dispense with this idea that's so well, here's what's crazy. rich and robust? Today, we could get Einstein on the radio mm-hmm. and say, what do you say now, Einstein? Who's superfluous <laughs> Is it still superfluous? <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of uh, on the radio, I have to run. Uh, so I'm going to go oh, right on. back okay. into the ether. Uh, <laughs> my right. time on this earthly we'll, plane is done. We'll <laughs> try right to, we'll summon you shortly. <laughs> no, you're only moving apartments, although I know in New York it does feel like, feels like that's, that's <laughs> all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally my over. God. Good luck. I will see you guys. Bon Have voyage. fun playing in the ether. Okay. <laughs> see you. Farewell. Bye. Um, so, um, uh, what would happen? So, Einstein is born into this world, mm-hmm. right? What would well, he? Um, and and he has that question about running alongside a light beam and things like that. What, how yeah. So he... I should say Einstein is born into this world. Oh. Einstein is born at the height of ether mania. 
when he studies <sighs> physics as a young person, he studies the physics of the ether. He reads, he has a picture of Maxwell hanging in his office, right? It's uh -huh, not uh -huh. an accident. Right. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's what it means to be a science student in Einstein's generation is you learn about the ether. That's your thing. Um, and it so happens. So when he says, uh, he imagines running alongside a light wave, he means running alongside an ether wave and, oh, wow, that's actually what, that's what drives his thinking that eventually gets him to, to special relativity is saying, what could the properties of the ether be such that I am, I that when I'm running along the, the ether wave, I see this particular thing. Um, right. And eventually he comes up with this series of contradictions to which he says, I don't need this hypothesis anymore. It's causing more trouble than it is benefit. Ah. I'm just going to move on. Um, and he's not the only person doing this. I said, everybody is worrying about these questions. So, um, uh, the, the question is just the conclusions people draw from them. So like one of Einstein's big mentors, this guy, um, uh, Lorentz, a uh, Dutch physicist is pondering these same questions about the nature of the, the ether, um, and comes up with a series of equations, um, which is actually the same series of equations that Einstein comes up with. Uh, but Lorentz interprets them in terms of the ether and says, well, we know the ether exists, so this must be the right way to interpret these equations. Einstein says, if I don't need the ether, I can interpret these in a very different kind of way. Um, and we still call those equations the Lorentz transformations, for instance, uh, because Lorentz derives them years before Einstein does. Um, and again, these are these are ghostly afterimages of the ether. Um, every time wow. you do a Lorentz transformation, we think of it in the context of Einstein and relativity, but they were derived for the context of the ether. Um, so you can look at that same equation and say, instead of time dilation, what I'm seeing is this particular crunching of the ether. Um, well, we can even see that. That I think I think the. Um whatever it is that ends up replacing this earlier version of the ether is so complicated that still very few people can really understand. I mean, you know, you have, at this point, you have to understand quantum mechanics very deeply um, to understand quantum, I don't know, quantum fields, also relativity. You know, you have to be a, a real deep, you have a deep, you need to have a deep understanding of physics, even to understand the way we understand it now, which of course still doesn't reach full yeah, that's right. And this is, I think, an important detail that, that, that's sometimes missed, too, is that um, since nowadays we think of the ether theory as wrong, people often think of it as, well, it must have been, like, really crude or simple or something like that. And, like, that's mm. not it at all. It's a fantastically mm. complicated, rich theory uh, with all sorts of depth and detail. Mm. Um that just turned out to be its undoing <laughs> at the end wow. of the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's not that it's easy. Um, it's just that uh, it ended up being not self-consistent. That's what right. And to wrap up the thread on the dead, uh, um, the communicating with the dead, you mentioned that there was a, the group that, um, what was it, the Society for? Uh, Psychic Research, the SPR. Psychic, yep. SPR. And... Um, and you, you also mentioned, you said experiments were done for 50 years. Was it this same group that managed to carry these experiments out for 50 years? It was, years? yeah. It is the same group of people. Um, uh, obviously, 
when it lasts for 50 years, you get turnover. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, and did, did, one it, of I'm just things... curious, at the end, did they announce, was there some sort of formal thing of like, you know what, we've, we don't think it exists. No, it or, just peters out, as, as is usually the case with failed research projects, is no one ever declares that it's done. Um, Max Planck used to say that um, no one ever changes their mind, the old scientists just die. Um, and this is essentially what happens here, is that Lodge lives so long that he's the, the core of the research group for a very long time. Then when he dies, there's no one holding it together anymore, and they, they mosey off. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. So, um, uh, again, what a ride. What a ride you've taken us on today, Matt. Um, uh, Patreon members will be entitled to listen to a special bonus uh, additional discussion. We're going to talk with Matt a little bit longer about the psychics of uh, communicating with the dead and the ether. Um, and that is available only to Patreon members. If, if you are not a Patreon member, you go to patreon.com slash what the if and just check it out just see what you can get um, uh you can get all kinds of fun things to uh souvenirs clothing stickers um and also bonus uh content available only to members so um um thank you to your patreon members who, who are with us already and who will be enjoying that uh today um and if you're not familiar with it like i said go check it out uh matt thank you for taking us on this on this ride, do you have any 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 last thought for our uh, for our non Patreon audience and sort of summing? Up? Um, I do have thoughts, but they are echoing in the ether right now. So you will uh. have to build a whirling machine to go detect them. <laughs> oh, the whirling machine! We've got a. Uh, we need to take up a. We need to do a Kickstarter or some sort of. Somebody has to rebuild the whirling machine. We'll look into that and see if that's that's been done. That just sounds fun. Or, you know, just like 19th century physics amusement park. I think that'd be I mean, 19th mm, century physics world. Oh, yeah, that would be a huge amount of fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, actually, it would be amazing. Wouldn't it? Um, so thank you, Matt. And uh, we thank Gabby as well. We wish her luck on her moving uh, expedition uh, today. Um, and uh, Matt, if you would lead us in our, our ritual, uh, mm. our closing uh, supernatural um, encounter that yeah. we do every week. What happens? What do we do? Um, well, you, you go to your basement um, and you switch on the whirling machine and you stick your head inside um, and you gradually sense dozens and hundreds of thousands of scientists with unfinished research projects gathering around you to giving you instructions of what you need to do next so that they can get tenure. You suddenly shout... What the is? Thank you to all our listeners, living and post-living. I hope you can get podcasts in the great beyond. I don't see why not. I don't want to stop stop listening to it. Casts or casts. Exactly. Exactly. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>